Hey guys, this is Dagon123, and welcome to... Hello everyone, and welcome to the next exciting episode of TenshiCast, presented by TenshiForum.com. It has been an eventful fall season for the members of TenshiForum, and even more eventful for iTenshiMuyo itself. Plot has happened, characters have happened, and a lot of hype is building up towards the end of the show. And to help us be plants in the crowd of hype, crazed, it's good to be back. Pie. Live from the Science Academy, Wash you will pre- present everything. Nil. Oh, Diane, I almost forgot. Got to find out what kind of trees these are. They're really something. And who? Do not adjust your internet. TenchiCast is back. How's it going, everybody? And... To start off this week, we are actually going to start off with the iTenshi Talkback segment and get to hear from you, the Tenshi fans, some of the things that you have been saying, Nil. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the iTenshi Talkback portion of the cast. We're going to start with this this time because there's, there's been a few weeks of silence on our part and you have continued to wanted to be included in the discussion so uh we're going to just jump right into it for the uninitiated i tend talk back is our way to have you the audience get on the podcast even when you can't be in the podcast itself you leave a comment with the hashtag i tend talk back which will be included in the video description below uh so, so that you can Essentially, just tell us what you think about each episode as it comes, or the week as a whole, your thoughts on the series building up to that point in time, and then we discuss it here. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Let's not waste too much more time. Our first one comes from Facebook, from James Wilkie. Apologize if I spe- if I uh, pronounce that wrong. Who says, That was an odd week, but funny to see how mad the show can get at times. And of course, by mad, he's referring to the kind of comical pacing and the sense of humor that you know Itenchi actually has and uh, I definitely think that's something worth pointing out because the show is very heavily humor related in fact it's it's it's, it's kind of something that Tenchi is known for it ha- it's always been kind of a humorous show it has the potential to be very dramatic but it also has the ability to be very comedically inclined and as we've seen from uh, a lot of the sequences including like you know just Yuki and Rui's whole relationship is like, you know, the straight man and then the the whacked out comedy duo. Uh, Hachiko's burst into tears every time she loses her Boken segments. Stuff like that. Even little bits of dialogue here and there. Just little witty jabs at one another. Absolutely hilarious. So, you know, I'll talk about some of the humor, some of the things that we found funny this week, last week, the week before that. The week before that, I lost count now. Anyways, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the humor uh, by Mr. James Wilkie. Well, one thing I'd like to go ahead and point out about the humor of the show is even the voice actors realize that this particular show happens to be oriented towards comedy as well as science fiction and fantasy. Uh, when we were talking to Matt, uh, which we're, this is going to tie into the uh, Tubi podcast, no doubt, uh, when we were talking to Matt Miller, 
he actually was referencing how much comedy there was and mentioned that the show at certain points was taking itself, air quotes, too seriously. And he enjoyed the jokes. And I believe Petraea Burchard actually referenced the fact that the, the jokes were something that she enjoyed as well. You know, uh, I, I'm really impressed with uh, not only it, it's a whole nother ball of wax we go into with um, the format as we've touched on, you know, the uh, uh, four minutes. It's amazing what they can do with four minutes, um, what Nagishi can, can, can do with that. Uh, but what I've loved about uh, the humor particularly is, um, yes, there's, there's some etchy stuff, there's some slapstick stuff, um, like you'd see in uh, a, a lot of other shows. But the amazing thing about about I Tenshimuyo is when they called this well, a celebration of the franchise, they weren't just blowing smoke. They were it, it, it wasn't just because oh yeah, it's around you know anniversary of it. Uh, so many years have gone by, and we'll just happen to have a premiere. No, no, no. Like you can watch it, uh, you can breeze right through it and not pay much attention. Four minutes, yeah, yeah, whatever. Have a few laughs, absolutely. But if you really pay attention, there's there's so many as we've gone over many on the cast uh, to date here, and there's <laughs> we, there's no way we could touch them all, uh, even if we weren't playing catch up at this point. Uh, just how many how many in jokes? I mean, it is it is esoteric to an nth degree. On uh, if you're a hardcore Tenchi fan watching this, um, it you know it doesn't matter what your favorite series is. It doesn't matter who your favorite characters they. They've got a joke or a uh, lampoon for you or something in there that's that's going to tickle your ribs if you're if you're just paying attention. So it's fun for people who might be new to Tenchi as well, but the real treat is for those of us who are fans coming in to watch it. Um, <laughs> Hana being uh, <laughs> God, it's like Aika is going into a uh, almost like dominatrix punishing her, and she's going, "Oh, please forgive me, Onesan," and you're and I'm like, "Oh my God, they're doing." Oh my! It's it's Aika's call me princess. I swear! Oh my God! And so I just I'm impressed. I've never I've never seen a franchise be able to pick up that much later and have um, as some others might be able to mention here. Uh, not just references like that. I mean, that was a sound file. That wasn't even in an actual Tenchi series. That was, that was a sound file. But all the references they make also to the fandom in general. Uh, they're 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 up on everything. Nagishi Nagishi's a fan too, so I, it's it. Yep, it's it's all it's all good. I think one of the things that you know we had uh, you know had gotten on the topic of uh, before was you know what what was what was what made Tenchi's comedy different? What made it unique? It's very smart, and I think that comes through much like who said very well in I Tenchi Muyo. I Tenchi Muyo's uh, comedy. The way it plays up its jokes and its laughs are they're very smart they're very uh aware it's very i don't say meta because i don't think it's you know although there, there are a few instances you could you could make a make an argument for that but it's very smart you know it's not just i mean there is slapstick there is very you know i don't say superficial it's very on the uh it's very much a front like a mask but the majority of it, you really have to sit down and catch. Like with Aika, the first thing I thought of was, oh my god, they're referencing Call Me Princess. You know, something like that is very rare. It was on the sound file. It was something that was only released in Japan. They referenced it, and they made it a joke. And so, a lot of people might look at that and think, oh, well, that's just Hana, because 
Hana kind of had, you know, Hana had a doujin called Tenchi in Chains. Cue Alice in Chains music. But it's actually referencing, or supposed to reference, this thing that Aika did before, 20 years ago. So, I mean, that's that's the one thing that I've liked about Ai Tenchi's comedy and its laughs and how it's done things. It's very smart, it understands who's watching it, and plays it up perfectly. It's like who said, the people behind this series, Nagishi and everybody else included, they're fans of the series. They've they've kept their finger on the pulse of this fandom for all these years despite the fact that Nagishi hasn't done anything with his franchise in close to what over a decade I think my I think that's been my favorite thing about the humor of this show is just all the end jokes they have like the one with uh call me princess if you had never seen that sound file or heard it you would have never caught the reference I think my favorite one so far has been when uh, Tenji and the old girls defect to the science club for a little while, and uh, they pull up a picture on that phone, and it's just Tenji and Sasami standing side by side there at the beach, and uh, immediately, what, what do they all do? Oh, Tenji, you pervert. <laughs> They're pulling an in-joke to all the people who would ship Tenji and Sasami together. Well, in the same vein, Tori seems to have a very unhealthy obsession with Sasami as well, and I don't think that's coincidence either. Yeah, I've always kind of seen Tori's obsession over Sasami as being kind of like a prod at the people who obsess over idol characters like Hatsune Miku, and of course that joke was made, so that's why I kind of figure that that's what they're kind of going along with. They made kind of the reference, like, oh, she an idol, do you think? Like, well, you know, the obvious joke that Hatsune Miku looks, has some similarities to Sasami's character design, uh, you know, I, I think they're definitely playing her up as, as a joke to the people outside looking in at the fandoms and seeing all these people get really crazy about these lolly characters and they're just like, man, <laughs> have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Well, here's Tori with one for you. But it's obviously in kind of a tongue-in-cheek manner because people don't seriously drown themselves in bathwater where a fictional character previously bathed. It's, it's, you know, that's the joke of it. There's a lot of jokes that are just, you know, very well done like that that are kind of wink-wink, nudge-nudge to the fans. You know, we already called, talked about uh, Call Me Princess, all that other fun stuff like that. You know, I had one in my head, and it just kind of vanished. Give me a second here. Well, uh, what was it? One of the background characters from the school asked if Sasami was an idol playing up to a Hatsune Miku reference with her. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, they, they already made the joke with it, so... You know, Tori's continuously obsessive behavior, like taking nonstop pictures of her, writing about her, saying she wants to eat Sasami-chan instead of just eat her cooking. She wants to eat Sasami. Like, these little things like that are just, like, you know, completely outrageous. But that's the joke, is that she's just become completely obsessive, and you know, that that's where the humor therein lies. There's also the old girls and their humor. They basically haven't skipped a beat in the past decade or two they still act exactly the same as they have they're a little more mature but you have things like when hana called aika grandma and it just set aika off like the nuclear weapon went off in the back of her head and she was like whoa what and you know next thing you know 
all of Ayaka's weapons are appearing out of thin air, and the next time we see either of them, Hana's on the floor, and Ayaka's just got her, you know, her foot on her head, like, all right, bitch, what'd you say about me again? They haven't skipped a beat. The arguments between Ryoko and Aika, even when they're just having a simple conversation in the bathhouse, they're fighting over, you know, the the bathing instrument and they end up breaking it. You know, it's the little things like that that make you realize that even though there's an obvious focus on kind of the, the new girls, as it were, from time to time, the old girls haven't changed a bit and the writers know exactly how to play them. Another example being in the most recent episodes, um... The, this very serious, solemn discussion between the Science Academy, who we haven't actually heard from in a while in the series proper. I don't think they... Well, yeah, they, they came into question at the very end of Universe, I guess, but no, not very often frequently mentioned. Uh, and then, of course, the Galaxy Police, who you know, they are who they are, getting a real serious discussion about, you know, okay... Well, we think we know who's behind all this madness and you know, this, this dramatic, tense buildup with this very gravelly-voiced head of the, the Galaxy Police unit in charge of this investigation. It's like, all right, so who is it? Well, it's Washu. And then she just pops up on screen and she's got this rock star face. She's just giving him a wink and a tongue out like, <laughs> yep, it's me. Fucking hasn't skipped a beat since 2003. And I think that uh, I think the creators just have gotten the physical slapstick element down pat. They've got the comedic timings with discussions down pat. They've got the perfect amount of fan service in regards to you know giving the the old fans the perfect amount and the realization that hey, the old girls haven't really changed. They're still here. They're still the same people. While uh, you know, setting up plenty of enjoyable things for the new girls as well, and I, I think that they've done pretty pretty well with that so far. Pretty decent. I've actually really loved the mirror effect that they've got with uh, Ryoko and Benny because every time Ryoko and Benny are in the same room together, sparks start flying. Because to be honest, they are too fucking similar. Uh, I was rewatching episodes twenty six to twenty five today in preparation for the podcast and looking at some of the things they have Benny do, like she has has her sitting on top of the roof just like Ryoko does, staring at the stars. You have Ryoko and Benny. Benny's competition all over all through the series uh there's there's some obvious parallels going on there and the fact that they just butt heads every time is hilarious even though in many ways they're so they're so similar it hurts but one thing I'm going to uh drag who up here for is Kumo-kun uh Rui and the spider that has to be the one thing that I have really enjoyed the most in this show is Rui's ridiculous fear of spiders and everything, all the hilarity that ensues because of that. Who I turn it to you. God, man, that that's a whole other thing. Not just what um what the creators behind it are putting in there between the lines um, or straight in your face, subtle as a train wreck. But you know, already the, this series is, is it's still hot out of the oven. It's still brand new, and uh, you're seeing a lot from, you know, from all over. Uh, where, where the 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 fandom, you know, everybody was a little apprehensive at first, but once things started moving, the fandom just lit up, and we're seeing. So we've already seen fantastic fan art uh, featuring the new styles, the new clothing. Uh, we're seeing you know cosplay stuff come out um so a little more on the business and and then uh of course you, you know it's the internet and uh memes and stuff pop up and so one that we have kind of as far as i know unique to uh to our own 
uh, our own sphere of the fandom right now <laughs> is we kept noticing we noticed a recurring theme with uh, poor Rui Chen and and this spider uh, or, or spiders. So then we thought it'd be fun. Of course, this is all just fan stuff. It's just all just for fun, not implying here. Oh, they meant it. But so we started just saying, oh, you know, maybe it's that same spider keeps messing with her. Well, maybe he's not messing with her. Maybe he's maybe he's trying to get her attention. And so then then uh, Pi I think came up. We well, he's got to have a name. And uh, well, what's What's Japanese for spider? Kumo. So it's Kumo-kun. And so now, now we have forum shipping of Ryu-chan and a spider. And, of course, that's all just um, as much of the series itself is. It's, it's all in tongue-in-cheek. And it's all in fun. It's not like, you know, well, I don't think Ryu-chan and Kumo-kun is canon. Well, no, duh. But we're having fun with it. And so uh, even though we're trying to play catch-up here and there's there, there's a lot... Um, which I think we'll we'll probably jump into here is not just the, the fun stuff, the lighthearted stuff, but we also get the ball rolling on plot big time here, overarching plot. But you, you know, along the way, this series is about having fun, and uh, all the weeks that we've, well, again, we're sorry we were we were at uh, we were Chibi Pa convention planning. Had a had a panel there, and obviously you're seeing some of the uploads from that. And uh, uh, we'll we'll give some shout outs. Met uh, some fine people, fellow fans there. Had a great time. Uh, but uh, but we've been keeping up with watching the series and stuff. And uh, and so much has happened. And uh, so, some some feelsy moments, like Pi said, with Benny on on the roof. Um, up very much. Manatsu no Eve, Daughter of Darkness, uh, feel there. I get that that was no accident. Um, so I know, I know this is a lot to to jump off of from Kumokun, humble little Kumokun. But um, again, we made up that name, people. So don't give. <laughs> anyway, let people take that how they will. But um, again, you know, the series is about having fun. It's about reveling in the fandom, all of us, because here we have Nagishi even though his personal contribution in the past was universe, and now he gets to say he, he was behind I. But even though his was universe, he's drawing from, from, ev- from everywhere, uh, from, from everybody who, who's, uh, who's had their, their turn with, with this wonderful thing we all know and love is Tenchi. Uh, Hasegawa and uh, Kashima, even Hayashi, uh, and his own work as well. So it's, it's, about, it's, it's about having fun. It, it, it's not complicated. But who? You're you're telling me there's not gonna be a dojin where Rui gets with the spider? Tell you what, um, if if Hana hears this cast, then you better believe within like that same day there will be. There's gonna be. She's gonna have the first five volumes for you, and she's she's gonna tell you, I've got more on the way, and you'll oh lord. But who would we have to worry about more, Hana or Kajishima? I mean, I'm sorry. Not really. <laughs> I'll take twenty. Pause. Zoidberg, you're becoming a, such a crafty consumer. <laughs> he would be. Uh, he'd be terrible at picking up dojins, by the way, with those claws. Bah. Why do I cut everything that I touch? <laughs> All right, steer the ship back onto the rails here, real quick. All right. Uh, so next up. We have Carlos Sanchez and Max Ruiz. Actually, let me switch that around. Max first. He says on Facebook, I'm still hyped for what's building up. And this leads into Carlos Sanchez's question here. 
or statement anyways. I just realized we're like five episodes away from the end, and it feels like they've just gotten to the main plot. So uh, I wanted to combine these two together because we will be actually launching off into the regular podcast portion from this question, uh, from these uh, these these Tenchi talkbacks. But uh, I did want to address first Carlos's concern about the number of episodes. This show was announced for 50 episodes way back in, what was it, May when it was first announced? Yes. And we have just assumed that it would be 50 episodes, like normal. Uh, when we began subtitling, a lot of places had things listed as having the recap episodes be a numbered episode. As it so turns out, and something that we found out about two weeks in, the recap episodes are not actually considered episodes by episode structures. They don't have numbers. They're simply there. So right now, we're looking at episode 45. So one would think that next week would be it. And initially, we had projected that December 12th would be the final episode of Itenchi. Thankfully, because we're loving this all so much, that's not the case. The Itenchi calendar on the official website was updated like at the very crack-ass start of, of December, and on it, there was new episodes listed, two whole weeks of it, and there are no recap episodes for the final two weeks of the show. This goes all the way through until the day after Christmas now. So we don't have to worry so much about, well, are they going to hurry up with the plot or not? Because one, there's plenty of plot, but two, we have three weeks instead of just one now. And seeing how so much can happen in a single week's worth of episodes, there's a lot that's going to be happening in these next couple of weeks, these next three weeks. And, uh, you know, we just want to let everybody know that there will be a slight difference in the number of episodes compared to what was originally said. It will not be ending at 50 for our personal count, but it is technically still 50 episodes. The way it works is that every school day that Tenshi has, including the feudal era flashback type sequence, has five episodes each. They're, the recap episodes, of which there are ten of, do not count towards the episode count at all by official means. In fact, I believe Nagishi had mentioned that they wouldn't even be on the DVD and Blu-ray releases. So, you cut out those ten, and what does it give us? It gives us ten whole episodes to work with. That's two weeks, because there's five episodes a week. And what wouldn't you know it, the last two weeks of the show, here they are. There, there they are. So the show will be running not until December 12th, but through the 12th all the way to the 26th, which is, uh, you know, that's, that's fantastic news. So I just want to let everybody know that slight miscount, but don't worry. There's plenty of eye where it came from. Uh, now, to get on to the other portion of this, talk about the main plot. There is a lot of buildup that's going on right now, especially with the most recent episode where, or you know, the, the most recent few episodes where we finally start to see the galaxy get involved here. The universe is getting dragged into things. The galaxy police are now like armed and ready. We found out that Ukon is actually a member of the galaxy police and that Mahoshi has been undercover the entire time working as a galaxy police officer because lest we forget, that's what she actually does for her day job, not digging holes. She 
tricked everybody. She even kind of lied to the family's face a bit. Was just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just here, just doing this thing. Don't tell anybody. You know, she's she's undercover, and she does. She don't want anybody else to know that she's there for for business reasons. Ukon pulling the strings. That was a mind blow right there. Like holy shit. All this time, everybody thought Ukon's going to be a demon. Or she's going to be like a Kagato-type villain. It could be Kagato in disguise. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. It turns out, no. She's just a member of the Galaxy Police, and she's in. They're undercover. She's keeping an eye on Tenchi. She's trying to get to the bottom of all this mess that Washu's been starting. And uh, that was that was a great twist. And because of Washu's interference and the style of her interference with science and whatnot, the Academy has taken a notice. And now they want to know what the fuck is going on. So now they're asking the GP, dudes, what's the deal here? And the GP are like, well, it's Washu. Big surprise. The big players are here. We have the Academy. We have the Galaxy Police. I'm sure Jirai wants to know what the fuck's going on here at some point eventually, especially with Aika and Sasami finally knowing what the whole plan was here. Oh, there's a Jiraiyan ship under the school, and what we're looking for is a key that activates when Momo and Benny touches it, and what the fuck. Jirai, most assuredly, has some chess pieces still in this battle that are ready to move. Like, boom, right there. There goes the dynamite. The next three weeks are going to be incredibly packed. There's going to be, of course, the school stuff because that's the that's the basis for it all. But it's not really about what happens at the school so much as it is that, that things have been and always have been much larger than they've seemed. And, and then Nagishi did something similar in Universe where he spent a very long amount of time building up the characters and then after time and space adventures, it was just a straight shoot of plot. And all of a sudden, all this stuff is happening. And then, you know, bastard killing Ryoko and whatnot. And you're pulling the heartstrings. There's plenty of time for him to fuck with us and do what he did back in Universe. He knows what he's doing. We just had to give him a little bit of time to get introductions out of the way. So uh, I've, been, I've been blabbing on about plot a little bit too much. Let's pass the mic here. Somebody else. Let's, let's talk plot because there is a lot of it that's happened in the past three weeks. Oh, I can talk plot. Me and Who were talking plot a lot when we were in the airport, and we had a, had some we were cooking up some ba- some badass theories. But thankfully, in many ways, some of them have been shot down. Uh, I had a theory going along for a while that this entire school universe was actually a shell, that it was essentially an illusion, much like uh, Tenshi Mui in Love Two. And I was theorizing that Ukon might have been behind, it. and I theorized that it might have been ben, uh, that it might have been Momo who was keeping this thing alive, much like Haranda did. Thankfully, that actually has been shot down now. Um, I had, I was thinking that possibly the Aika, Ryoko, and uh, Mahoshi and Sasami that we were seeing were not actually them. That Tenshi was living in this in this fantasy world that was ma- made up to look like his real world and other th- wacky things. Thankfully, those have all been horribly, horribly shot down. And now we're getting into the good shit of seeing what the Galaxy Police and Science Academy are up to. Turns out, of course, uh, Ayaka, Ryoko, Maho- uh, Washu, and uh, Sasami were all involved in this all along. Uh, that was revealed in one of the later episodes, one of the more recent episodes, I think in the 40s somewhere. And I swear, we- we're getting into the good stuff now. I think, uh, can we just lay this, uh, there's maybe several things, but just to make sure uh, that, uh, so everybody's, everybody's on the same page here with, um, with regards to 
it was revealed that, um, that uh, you know, via flashback instead of flash forward, rather, whatever, that, uh, so when Tenchi was sent by Washu, he was actually uh, initially, okay, before he was sent to Janai, uh, he was sent back, back in time, as it were. Uh, the ep- I forget the episode title, but we see, um, obviously, then they dig up uh, his smartphone or whatever. And uh, so, so there's connection there. So, um, and then, of course, this ties into, uh, you know, when he goes back in time. So kind of shooting down that this would be a, you know, like, I guess what I'm getting at is, one of the things I'm getting at is, can we, you know, so everybody's uh, sure now, can we reasonably presume that uh, I is truly it's it's its own beast it's a it's it's a it's another it's another series um and it doesn't really seem to there, there to, to tie it into any one of the pre-existing continuities seems like it would be limiting of it or it would be it'd be quite a stretch to shoehorn it in somewhere because uh otherwise you'd be dealing with not only um differences in time but also differences in dimensions uh which is kind of what we were Again, there's precedence for that. When we were coming in, we certainly didn't necessarily doubt it. But has that, would, would, would anyone say, has that been debunked as well? So when Tenchi went back and there was Hachiko and and, uh, and Tori and Hana, and they're in feudal times, and he meets up with Ryoko, who didn't recognize him, which is kind of drawing from more from OVA Ryoko. Uh, are we still dealing with different uh, dimensions, do you think? Or is it just that was uh, him back, uh, going back in time, as it were? I think that was back in time. I think it's probably safe to say back in time. That that's, that's, that's seems what I, uh, what, what I was drawing as well. Uh, so that way, again, pe- people... Um, you know, we'll, well, you know, we'll say you'll, you'll have the gospel word after, after it's all said and done when uh, sadly, oh, I, is, I concludes and we'll say, you will be able to say, yes, it's its own universe, its own series. But I would say that even right now uh, to help people with their enjoyment, because I think that's probably we're, we're kind of a lot of us are used to that because that's that's what comes with the territory of being a Tenchi fan is just like, oh, there's one called Tenchi in Tokyo. Oh, there's universe. Oh, there's pretty Sammy. And just kind of throwing off the shackles of whatever previous series you were watching and taking it all new again. And so I think a lot of people, what might have been hampering the enjoyment of this is like, well, is it OVA? Is it Universe? Uh, well, it's Nagishi directing it. What? Well, uh, don't worry about it, basically, is what I would say. It's, it's drawing from, you know, 20-some years of accumulated uh, the franchise and the fandom as a whole. So Ryoko having her backstory of she was apparently, you know, um, if it's just the singular timeline, linear timeline we're dealing with, and Tenchi went back in time, and Ryoko was was there in feudal times, that ties into her backstory as a character in OVA. But there's a lot of other stuff, like the, as we've seen with the GP um, and the Science Academy and uh, uh, their personalities as well, there's a lot of stuff that Nagishi's bringing in from uh, who the characters were in universe as well. Um, also, then there's something to note. Washu Hakubi, they specifically, explicitly said her name, uh, her last name, which we don't see as often as you might think in in the various Tenchi series for for uh, a lot of the characters actually. But but anyway, I digress, and I just wanted to to get that out there so people kind of, if this late in the game, uh, don't already know that or or what have you. Uh, that's pretty much what what we're looking at, and and in that fun way, 
in that way, it's really fun because we don't, you know, it, it could go anywhere. We have no idea. We have no idea what Nagishi's going to draw from or if it's going to be completely new. We, you know, we, we have no idea. And so that, that's, uh, I, I love that prospect of uh, having that with the Tenchi series for the first time in forever. It's actually quite difficult to say for certain if it was simply going back in time or if it was an alternate universe. Because if we remember when the initial incident started happening, uh, Washu had made the comment about how there was somebody who was in all of the different dimensions, who was in all the various universes, as it were. And she specifically mentioned it was one person that we can re- that I can remember anyways from way back. That was the very start of the series. And... Um, I'm pretty sure she also mentioned some sort of interdimensional scattering of Momo, and she just so happened to end up at a specific point. I am not 100% certain it was simply a time back, because at the same time, there's almost no... It just doesn't seem right, in a way. I don't, I don't know. The, the The phone is dated at... 1,300 years underground. That makes like zero sense. Ryoko has the potential, I guess, from the past, but Mahoshi has never been given a lifespan of that long as far as I know. Uh, so it would be some pretty interesting liberties with the characters to say that they existed, they all existed 1,300 years ago, exactly how they exist now, uh, and, and just kind of hand wave that off. I think that there's some partial interdimensional transference going on here and it wasn't strictly a time thing because as we also remember things were getting real fucked up and if we assume since the phone was what fell that uh when the universe started going batshit when the reset button didn't function earth wouldn't exist at that point like it would have just been completely fucking destroyed have to have a lot of build-up to get it back to, to the home that we know. So I'm pretty sure there was some alternate universe, you know, multiple... Uh... Oh, I'm fairly con- convinced that there's a lot of multiple universe stuff going on. Uh, the phone, um, the, my current theory for the explanation of the phone is that the place where Junai Academy exists on Earth is 1,300 years forward in this timeline from where the phone fell. And thus... Uh, Momo's ship is obviously buried underneath it. So that timeline makes sense. The Ryoko and Mahoshi that you see, I'm still convinced that's the the universe and incarnations of Ryoko and Mahoshi from the way they're dressed and the way and the way they act. Again, this interdimensional rift, as Washu said, was p- pr- bringing across multiple dimensions. It's possible that Momo and Benny aren't even from this incarnation's version of Jirai, even. They might have been pulled in from Universe or from Tokyo or God knows what, or some other parallel verse that we haven't even touched on before. So all this stuff gets hodgepodged into this feudal era thing. You have, of course, the, the girls from the feudal era there as well. Tenshi gets sucked up into this thing. Mahoshi gets sucked up in this thing. Univer- uh, Ryoko gets sucked up in this thing. Um... Momo gets sucked up into the thing. Tenchi gets pulled out because Washu's got got essentially a chain on, uh, or, or a, think of it like a chain on him to pull his ass back and bring him back to the lab. That's where the other uh, other members of the household get involved to uh, investigate Janai. But Washu said that the original girl was disseminated between the different universes. So it's possible that she might have been essentially scattered to the winds, and then a lot of her got go- got glommed back together into the Momo that we're seeing. Something that I was talking to uh, Dagon earlier about was, you notice how Momo's very naive. Uh, actually, it's been said very often that Momo's as dumb as a brick. 
well, part of that might be might be because the original Momo that she started as, the one that Tenshi met, that was pulled into pulled down to Earth, that Momo was a child. So when she got disseminated and reconstructed into the Momo that we see now, she still has the mentality of a child. So when all the other teenagers are talking to her about teenage things, boys, uh, the, her, the growth of her breasts, all this nonsense, uh, Momo's still completely naive about it because her mentality is not that of a teenager. She still has the mentality of a child. I mean, I was pretty much going to say the same thing about the phone. He dropped the phone in the past, and so... Time happens, erosion, you know, tectonic plates, blah, blah, blah. And so then you have the school pop up. Uh, obviously, we still have to wonder what happened to Momo, because pretty much everything else could, could be attributed to just time displacement. Plus, we don't know what happened with the original, quote, unquote, feudal versions of Mihoshi and Ryoka. They got sucked into the void and uh, could be scattered anywhere. But... Uh, you know, one of the things that I really like about the show is that when things started to happen, nobody really had an idea. Like, when we saw that Benny and Momo were from Jirai, everybody kind of had an idea. Like, oh, well, you know, they were on a, they were on a, a ship together, and Benny refers to Momo as Momo-sama. So you, you kind of had an idea, like, well, maybe they're from Jirai, and then we find out they are. But the one that I loved, absolutely loved, and no brought this up, was nobody, nobody had any idea that Ukon was part of the Galaxy Police. Like, that was, that was fantastic, because, you know, it, it was just, it was nice to not know and be surprised. It was, it was a very nice turn. You know, one of the things that I've also liked, and this is something that was brought up, uh, and is also part of the plot, is that, you know, Nagishi is obviously a fan of anime. He's done anime, but he, you know, he did anime before Tension Universe. He worked on Tekaman Blade. So he's obviously a mech fan. Well, what's one of the things that we see Washu talk to the science club with? She's talking through a monolith. A, a monolith that has a red version of her a crab logo on it. That's, that's right from Ava. Like, that was so cool to see that, that, you know, he's very... There, there's nothing else that it could be. You know, there's there's references to things outside of just anime that are happening in here. Uh, or just this anime, or Tenchi. But, you know, having all of this plot happen, it's all being done very, very well. And, you know, we're, we're, we're timey-wimeying things around, you know. What, what, is, what is Ukon's ultimate plan? Is she simply a partner with Mahoshi, working with the Galaxy Police? You know, are we going to finally find, you know, what are we going to finally see when we find this Jiraiyan ship? Uh, you know, is, is the Science Academy the one that's talking with the GP? Are they going to get involved? Is the GP the big bad? Uh, is Jirai going to get involved at all? You know, there's very, lots of, lots of stuff that's probably going to happen in the last two weeks that, uh, is, is going to be very interesting to see how it progresses. It's also kind of cool, too, because... We've been out a month because Chippy Paw, but you know we kind of thought like, well, we saw Washu talking with the Science Club, or we, or kind of as kind of like an entity or something like they they all seem to be in the same proximity, and then boom, they're you know she's talking directly with the Science Club. Why is she talking with the Science Club when she has Ryoko, Aika, Sasami, and Tenchi going back to fix this? Why does she need the Science Club? Why are they over here on the side? Lots of questions. 
Actually, I'm very interested on in what's on that ship because everyone's been referring to the treasure, and many times we've been, we've had theories about what the treasure was. We thought it was going to be Momo's sword key, which cropped up, which is different than Tenchi Ken. It has a pink hilt, and Tenchi, of course, always has his sword on him at all times. Um, so we thought it was that. Then we they dig up, and turns out Mahoshi had dug up the cell phone, and we hack into that, and we get to see that picture about picture of Tenchi and Sasami at the beach. So we thought it was that. No, it's a it's a tracker for something else. And turns out underneath the underneath the uh, school, deep underground, is Asia Ryan spaceship. It's sitting down there too. But if you look very listen very closely to what the GP uh, uh, guys are talking about, one of the higher ups is saying that the great treasure is uh, is on uh, is on that ship. So I'm curious as to what that ship's mission was. Um, we saw, see back in episode 33, I believe, is when we find out Momo and Benny are both from, both from Jirai. I'm not even 100% convinced that that Benny's from Jirai. Momo I can buy, I can buy, but Benny I'm not 100% on. They were getting to get, getting on their ship and taking on this little little thing. The ship Toshika had been given to uh, had been given to Benny. For her apparently her use, and then they go off uh, off sailing together. Why were they going off sailing together? Uh, we not 100% sure. There's talk about Sosama. They were so, there were theories that they were running or they were going to this Sosama. We haven't figured out exactly who he is um, or she. I don't know. I got nothing here. Um, but they get dragged down and so on. And then again, the science club's looking for the treasure. Swash, uh, the, the science academy and the GP guys are saying Washu's looking for the treasure. Uh, the, the Galaxy Police, for the most part, at first don't seem very interested in the treasure. They're interested in the fact that Washu's meddling around in time and mucking things up. That she shouldn't be doing that. They're much more towards their job. The Science Academy, though, the minute they hear that the that, that treasure's down there, they go, oh, what what's on that ship that's so interesting? Are the, is the Galaxy Police and the Science Academy just trying to get a hold of dry and tech? If that was so, then the ship by itself would be enough. But I'm thinking they're actually after something else because Ukon specifically says to her superiors that the fact that Momo's there, the fact that Benny's there, the fact that the key that Momo and Benny have between them is there isn't interesting. She says what's interesting is what's on is uh, is something else and. It doesn't get completely explained what that something else is. One thing I had also thought about too was if if we're if we're looking at this and me and Pi had talked about this briefly is if we're looking at this from a timeline perspective, let's say that Benny and Momo just disappeared in time, like just gone. What they had on their ship would be antiquated, and it would be you know it could be a you know a Jirian treasure that was very special and was lost forever. I mean it, it's kind of in the same vein as today's treasure. Like there's stuff that's gone from uh, you know historical uh, record that people knew existed and we know does exist, but it's just gone. Nobody has any idea where it's at, and so. This could be kind of something like that, except on a cosmic level, a level that would get anybody in the universe in interested, because this thing, they were transporting it or were taking it somewhere, and on this ship in particular, this thing was there. This thing could be, you know, it, it, it's the Indiana Jones thing, riches beyond your wildest dreams and power that would make you immortal or whatever. Something that is completely otherworldly, literally, and... Everybody wants in on the action because it was only there for that one point in time and then it was gone. And so I think that's kind of what I'm rolling with.
Well, there's also the fact about who, who Momo and Benny are. Uh, Dagon, you and I were discussing this earlier as well, that why haven't Ayaka and Sasami recognized Momo and Benny? Because, again, they're from Jirai. They're the, they're the pinnacle of Jirai royalty, except for perhaps whoever's sitting on the throne right now. In which case, if uh, Momo is anywhere way tied to the Jirai royal family, you think Ayaka might have a, a, an end as to knowing who they are. And yet, remember, we had seen uh, we had seen Benny and Momo's ship Toshika in the feudal era, thirteen hundred years ago. So one asks, might might Momo and Benny actually be from that time period? They might actually be from the Jirai of thirteen hundred years ago. If that's the case, if that is actually the case, then when they were trapped on Earth or scattered to the dimensional winds, whichever way they go. They went because we never saw Benny get sucked up. It's possible Benny might have been sitting in that escape pod all this time and was awoken with no memory because she was sealed away in cryostasis or something like Ayaka was in uh, in the OVA. But anyway, uh, if they're from history, it's possible that they might have just vanished from Dryan's dry records and be lost forever and now have reappeared. It's also possible, and this is possibly what might happen in the end game, if Tenshi and company help Momo and Benny get back to where they belong in time and space, back to their mission back in history, and they keep going, it's possible that Ayaka might open up a Jiraiyan textbook and see Momo and Benny as adults in that book and go, oh my god, we helped them. We helped Jirai's history. Uh, this was meant to happen. Yeah, I, I, had, uh, I had seen it as, as that way as well with regards to um, you kind of look at um, ground zero of the incident, whatever that that might be, and if that's tied into, which I think it is, of why their ship crashed, had problems, is is uh, especially when we that first glimpse. I can't remember the episode n number, but it was it was like right when we were gone at Chibi Palm, we like, and we're all going, "Oh my god!" Is when we see uh, Jirai, and we're we're introduced uh, to uh, younger versions of Benny. Uh, and Momo, which I I agree, I I think Benny was like a space pirate or something, and since she was young, they they raised her, uh, Jiraiyan. Uh, and uh, so anyway, so yeah, I do take it as they are their proper timeline, or they originally from a Jirai from uh, thirteen hundred or whatever thousands of years ago, which then came to uh, our planet thirteen hundred years ago, and that seems to jive with. Uh, where you know where, where where's Tenchi at? He, it's uh, he's in feudal Japan, and uh, I also think along those lines that Tori, Hachiko, and Hana uh, are also originally from that time period because we see them uh, in the garb and uh, very much that it looks like that's where they belong or that that they they don't seem to act as though they're out of place there but you know what can one can argue that though because that that's the fun thing is there is a lot of uh unanswered stuff and it does get confusing absolutely so you know i i, I never hold that solely against anyone but the fun thing is and the thing you have to remember is we're still in the middle of it right now we don't we we, we don't know a lot of stuff we don't know everything we're going to find out. So, um, yeah, it, it, as to how they all came to be and, you know, it, it seems that they were also implying heavily to me that Junai, the, the place that that is over, I mean, obviously it's over that same site that we see uh, in the in the feudal timeline because that's where the ship crashed and it's very much leading up to that's what's buried underneath the school and that's what uh, that's what Mahoshi and the science club and everybody was basically digging for whatever this treasure is on board 
So uh, still, still confused on the um, where exactly uh, I'm, I'm with you there, Pine. I had somehow it had slipped my mind. You know, Mahoshi was there too. So Mahoshi couldn't have just been, she wasn't just from 1300 years ago and then ended up in Tenchi's time. That wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't really jive with any Tenchi incarnation of Mahoshi. Ryoko there's precedence for, but Mahoshi being there, so that was definitely leaning towards, I'm with you there on, they felt like, even though I felt like they were drawing from Ryoko's OVA background a bit, it's like, oh, I could just see her as, you know, she just had this, you know, not a care in the world attitude in the woods in feudal Japan. So I absolutely was seeing, oh, she's the demon from the the legend, of course, but uh, her original backstory. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Mahoshi there, though, with her mech unit, that seemed much more like Yuner. So it's just, a, yep, just a lot of a lot of questions still unanswered. It's exciting. With uh, hot, the, the air quotes, original Hachiko, uh, Hana, and Tori, uh, Again, we don't know what happened to them in, in, in the feudal era. If they got sucked up into this into the rift and got scattered along, just like a, a Momo did, we don't even. Again, we don't see Benny get sucked up in there and get scattered scattered to the dimensional winds either. We we don't know what's going on there. Um, it's possible that Hachiko, Hana, and Tori that we see in the Junai school might be the descendants of those three. I mean, it has been thirteen hundred years. So um, unless they were sucked up into the rift and scattered scattered around. So again, lots of unanswered questions. We may never get these things answered. For example, which Ryoko and Mahoshi are we seeing in the feudal era? Are they from Universe? Are they from a copy of Universe? Are they from some other incarnation? Are they actually the ones that are belong in this timeline? Who knows? We might not get answered to those questions. And to some, to some degree, I can live with that. Getting answers to absolutely everything... It takes the mystery out of it. it takes the, to me, it takes the fun out of it. I like being able to speculate about things and saying, you know what, this is my theory, and you know what, your theory sounds pretty good too. Let's let's weigh the weigh the merits of each. That's what good good conversations all about. I say, there's always a lighthouse, there's always a man, and there's always a city. One thing that Tenshi's various offshoots have in common is that they have a lot. Of similarities they have a lot of things that are the same but they also have things that are just drastically different and uh, you know there's precedent that we can pull from the other universes but it's very possible that this is just completely its own thing and you know maybe some of the rules that we know of from the other continuities just simply wouldn't work here there's a lot of things there's, there's a lot of subtle differences changes between them but there's also some major ones you know, uh, one of the biggest ones you can pull from, obviously, is, say, the uh, relationship between Washu and Ryoko being mother and daughter in the OVA and then them being unconnected as far as their past goes in Universe in Tokyo. Uh, you know, this is other instances of that sort of thing. Uh, also, the ages of the characters, I believe, in Universe, they were all implied to be between the ages of 17 to, like, 23, whereas in uh, the OVA, it's like, okay, wa you know, Washu's 20,000 years old, and Ryoko's 7,000 years old, and Aika's however many thousands of years old. You know, there's all, all sorts of strange numbers getting thrown around. Little, little small differences that do make a difference, but... 
you know, on the surface, everybody is the same person. And uh, I think I is just kind of going with that. You know, this we, we can pull our best guesses, but, you know, maybe the characters that we saw get sucked up weren't even have anything to do with the universe at all. They could be very similar in, you know, description from the way they look as their universe counterparts but that may have had nothing to do with universe at all it could just have been another of the infinite multiverses where they just so happen to look like that but we're actually different people in different places so you know there's 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 precedent to pull from but it may not necessarily be a foundation that we could truly build off of and we just have to accept eyes continuity as being completely of its own and it's kind of wink wink nudge nudging to the other continuities but maybe it isn't brushing up against them in specific in in respect to those continuities as it were and that's perfectly fine uh again don't need to be tied down to one particular continuity. Just let's just have fun. Uh, whatever happened to having fun? Uh, we banned that actually before we left for the convention. I don't know if you noticed. Sorry, I didn't get the memo. However, I do have to ask ask you, Nil, as a uh, GP, as a fan of a particular GP character. What do you think about the GP SWAT unit? Uh, it's interesting. I, I've always been kind of curious about the Galaxy Police as a whole because we've seen some bits about them here and there through the different offshoots, Universe, the OVA, GXP, stuff like that. But it's very difficult to get a clear view exactly on how they operate. You know, it's very they're very much a background character. They were a goon squad for most intents and purposes that just so happened to have, you know, multiple characters be galaxy police officers but the gp themselves always had kind of an air of mystery and uh in, in some cases ineptitude about them that you would expect from a police unit and uh you know seeing like a gp squat force like we're yeah we're, we're going like full rainbow six here with the galaxy police all of a sudden like i'm, I'm fully expecting some flashbangs some counter-strike type stuff you know if i see a p90 i'm probably going to rage quit the series Deegs all over the place. It's going to be interesting to see the setup with, you know, an armed force of Galaxy police officers because, you know, they usually fight in ships. We very rarely see them as foot soldiers. And uh, it seems like they're going to be bringing the pain to Earth very soon. So that's going to be fun to watch. Well, we have had a little bit of precedent for a special operations unit for the Galaxy Police because Nagishi, being the man that he is, again, he directed Tenshi Muyo in Love and Tenshi Muyo in Love 2. In Tenshi Muyo in Love, we have our boy, uh, the the operative, who is, again, we don't, we don't get his name. Uh, he's just called the operative, or Operative A, I think, is how he's listed in the credits. But he's a, he's a Galaxy Police officer, and he quotes himself dealing with, as being part of the Galaxy Police that deals with serious criminals, i.e. Kane. And what we have here in episode 44, they mention a special division will be leading, leading these activities. They rip off their, their, over, their overcoats and reveal GP SWAT. Which kind of makes me go, hmm, are we going to be de dealing with some of the same special weapons and tactics, i.e. SWAT, that we saw in, in Tenshi Mui and Love? Like uh, active cloak, uh, cyborgs, machine gun arms, any kind of that wacky stuff? If that's so, we're going to see some pain getting brought a lot here very soon. Crazy. Hope within a hope. Tiny string holding on. But what if a certain, certain former housemate was, that got promoted... And then that special unit, uh, you know what all I'm saying. I'm still holding out, man. Oh, the back of my head, I'm thinking, if Mahoshi's kind of, kind of worming her way into the intrigue side of things, I would not, 
I would not be surprised if Keone rose up through the ranks, got on got on the GP SWAT, and right when things are get are getting dire, she steps out and t and takes off uh, her glasses or her, her helmet or what have you, and says, "Nope, not on my watch. This is my house," and proceeds to uh help the help the family. Or kind of like uh, Tokyo, where we see her kind of when, when when she goes unchecked and you know she she ends up getting pursuing that arguably too much she gets too fervent about about pursuing her, her career and and uh and and going up the ranks and getting promoted and yada yada and kind of kind of in tokyo she almost sacrifices her adoptive family along the way what if she's put in a very difficult position here where swat is deployed the last place she would expect although if Washu's living there, she shouldn't be that surprised. It would come up eventually. And she's deployed on Earth, and that's the situation. Man, man, that would that would be so great. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that all hopeful that actually happening. But I'm holding out, holding out a little bit of hope. You like to imagine everybody by now would kind of realize something's wrong on the Earth. It's fucking Washu's fault. Oh God, here we go. Actually, it's kind of surprising that they haven't sent the SWAT or someone to arrest Washu for some of the random shit she's done in different continuities. Of course, then again, maybe it wasn't blatantly obvious that it was her. I mean, notice that Mohoshi's entire subplot, and apparently also Ukon's entire subplot, is trying to figure out who caused the time and space distortion. And it wasn't until Mahoshi heard Washu's voice, reported it to Ukon, who in turn, no doubt, reported it to her superiors, that the GP and the, and the SA, the Science Academy, actually turned over and said, you know what, it's about time we fucking do something, here we go. Well, I mean, that's another thing, too, that we have to, you know, keep in mind, is that we, we know that Washu did it, but what did Washu do? Well, considering that Washu's also saying that something went awry, that something isn't quite right, that there was other forces involved, I'm wondering if Washu actually caused all this, or maybe she opened Pandora's box. In short, she spat in God's eye, and he blinked. Or he just opened his mouth and swallowed. Thank you, Kentaro. My queen, forgive me! All right, gentlemen, ties back up. Let's get back to business. Okay, so, gentlemen, translator boys, crazed and nil, I have a question for you. In episode 38, when they're talking with Wash, when Washu's monolith is talking with Ri, uh, Rui and Yuki with monolith, I like it, um, uh, Washu said that she lent the one we exiled. I don't think she's talking about Goriki. Is she talking about Mahoshi? I mean, it's really hard to say for sure, considering that you know, it, it, it's possible that Washu is aware that Mahoshi is there and is just playing it up in the event that Mahoshi acknowledges the others, so that there's no question, like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, obviously I know who they are. You know, Mahoshi's unaware for a while, it seems, who's behind all this, and then finally comes to discover, oh, it's actually Washu that's behind all this. I heard her voice from the monolith. It's definitely her. Maybe Washu was pretty well aware that this that they were going to catch on eventually and that Mahoshi was probably going to get involved because she is fairly all seeing would just be like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll address this as such and just refer to her as the exiled one in the event that the science club just asked me any questions. But like, yeah, we, we threw her out. Like, don't don't pay her any mind, considering that she's the only person that we've seen that would be part of the Washu's included group. You know, I, I don't think it could possibly be anybody else. 
what if, because I'm just re-watching this now that Pi brought it up, is in that room, in that scene, Gurikikun, Rui-chan, and Yuki are all there interacting with the with the, the crab monolith, well, that is Washu. But also in the room is Benny overhearing everything, but just kind of being like, whatever, I'm too cool to actually take part in the conversation. Uh, after mentioning the exiled one, Washu says, you'd better get the exiled one to go along with it or to do it if you don't want to go to hell, you know, uh, my divine punishment upon you. And then the very next scene is Benny going over to Tenchi's house to convince Tenchi and company to help them in their endeavors. Because at this point, when the conversation's going on, Mahoshi's still at the dig site. She never, she never stopped digging. We find out. So, so what? What you know? What again? Again, you guys, you were the ones on the uh, ground level are translating and stuff. And I mean, you know, her Washu says you, you know, like you'd better get, you'd better get the exiled one to do it. Uh, or else, at this point, and then Benny goes right over to Tenchi. I don't know. I, it, it's clearly meant to be not obvious at this point. So I don't know. I don't know. Could be Mahoshi. Could be Tenchi. Even um, I don't know. Well, she remembers. She mentions that we at one during one of the first conversations. In fact, the first conversation we see the crab monolith pop up. She specifically says that we gave you the exiled one. At that point, they didn't have Tenchi on board. They needed to get him. So he can't possibly be it because they didn't. she didn't give them Tenchi at all. They still had to get him on board with the science club's doings. Can't all, it also can't be Gori Kikun because he's invented by Yuki. We get that inside look inside of her and Rui's little apartment building. We see all the designs, and you know she says, "I don't know where they where they come from exactly," but she just kind of comes up with these designs. Is it possible that Washu is kind of like you know implanting these designs into her head, and then she just happens to design them, or is it just because she is a creative scientific genius and she's designed them? But it seems very likely that perhaps, other than some of the technology that she's not aware of exactly how it works yuki is potentially the originator for goriki kun i don't think he's the exiled one mahoshi is really the only one that makes any amount of sense because she's the only one who is remaining working underground and they make a lot of references to the exiled one and doing work and stuff like that she's the only one down there still digging everybody else is gone like there are the rest of the science club's like yeah but nobody else we, we don't we don't have that many people left that's right they don't have anybody left they have mahoshi left she's the only one left at the dig site she's the only one who's still going along with this shit and it's very possible there is another unseen person but the cards seem pretty obvious that what they're referring to there is mahoshi you know, for all intents and purposes, Washu is aware she's there, so she's come up with a backstory to bullshit in the event that you know Mahoshi does her ditzy thing and slips up and says, "Oh, I know who that is." Like, yeah, of course you do. We exiled you. Go away. Shut. Fair enough. That was my question. Carry on to the next segment of the podcast. I'll take potent potables for eight hundred, Alex. Actually, I got to bring that up. I, I had some fun ideas for the uh, for the character-oriented drink thread. I don't know if you guys have seen, but I had some fun thinking those up last night. I got to check that I'll out. Check them out later. But uh, on on favorite things that have happened, that of all the shit that's happened, my God, I I got to think about this one for a minute here. 
is obviously the uh, the storming of the castle with the uh, the new girls clashing with the old girls, with Ryoko being a badass and going head to head, toe to toe, and blade to wooden Okun to Ryoko with Hachiko. Like that was that was pretty great, and of course uh, Aika's defending herself against hana hana's messing up calling your grandma and then all the little you know modules appearing out of nowhere to give her what for that was another classic moment that i just love uh well a lot of the, the as short as the combat sequences have been a lot of them have been really stellarly shot and very enjoyable to watch and it's kind of a shame that they do kind of come and go within like seconds because there's very obviously a lot of love that goes into those and a lot of budget too uh, I also enjoyed pretty greatly, most recently, the uh, the sequence where uh, all the girls are sitting there and arguing about how effective the posters are going to be. And we see there's a couple different pieces with that episode that I really loved. The, uh, the sequence where Hachiko has her little tablet out and, you know, they're like, oh, well, I don't know if this do you think this poster is going to work? I don't know if it's got enough zest. And then Hachiko pulls out this shot of Momo kind of doing like a sexy pose. And Hana's just like, ah, let's just get rid of that and deletes it. So there can be like none of that mess in this. Uh, we're, we're doing this the clean way. And Hachiko is like almost in tears that she's lost her precious Momo picture. And then being uh, the cutthroat woman that she is, Yuki shows up with Rui, shows the poster. <laughs> It's like has her photoshopped to have just giant breasts and just does not look a thing like her normal self. And it even has text on the thing, which is basically sexual innuendo. Like it says, loves graduated cylinders or enjoys working with graduated cylinders. It's it's in a comedic tone to to be sexually suggestive. She's very obviously playing the field where the, you know the other girls just don't want to do that. And even Rui's like, uh, "Honey, I don't know if that's going to work." But uh, I just I just loved that entire episode sequence of events in terms of comedy. Uh, probably some other ones from the older episodes, but I think I'll pass this torch off somebody else. Well, I very much liked um it would be our episode um 36 the dormitory cookout uh, I, I love i love every every minute of that episode I, I feel largely that way about every i episode on pretty much but but this one just like just from the very start fade in tenchi's up there fixing a roof so a little nod there <laughs> to pick your continuity tenchi's had to uh clean up after the destructive superpowered women and fixing his fixing the roof more than one occasion this is just yet another chapter in the, in she's long book of fixing roofs. So, uh, but but uh, but no, I love that one because um, uh, it's a great takeaway message for anybody in any in any context. And of course, it fits in the series as well. It's kind of you've, we've had our team since the beginning. You've kind of had the uh, the science club versus versus the student council, and here we've got even the old cast and so we kind of have like old cast versus new cast you know all of the all of the divisive things potentially divisive things in this series all in the same place and it's kind of like there's kind of this this moment right when they come out and everybody sees each other and it's like oh man is, is something going to happen but but you know leave it to momo to uh to propose that they uh they all you know what it's a nice day and we got enough for everybody here we're having a we're having a barbecue why don't you join us 
Why don't, why don't we all have a barbecue together? It'll be, it'll be nice. And, and so they do. And it's fun. And so it's a lighthearted episode in that respect. But I think, I think message is strong there. Again, anyone can apply it to any situation of, of their own. But I think especially pertinent for, for us in the fandom, the implications of that is, uh, is hey, why don't we all enjoy barbecue together? Why don't we all, why don't we just enjoy I or whatever series, you know? Why don't we put aside the little, little squabbling for now and just, and just enjoy it together? Uh, we, we can, we, we all have that in common. So that was, uh, that, that was a favorite of mine. In addition to, I've already mentioned some like, uh, call me princess part two <laughs> with Hana, but uh, I'll pass the mic. I can definitely cue off my favorite moments of the past couple weeks. Uh, I mean, seeing Planet Jirai, I was with everyone when we were at Chibi Paw, and I put that in front of I put that in front of who I think, and I put it in front of Chuck, and everyone, all of us, like squeed and went, "It's Jirai! It's the it's the same planet that we saw in Universe! Yes!" And then also recently we saw the Galaxy Police headquarters again. I was like, "Oh my God, it's the GP headquarters!" I mean, we're starting to see the good the stuff that that just makes us go, "Yes, big things are happening!" Is ha- all of a sudden cropping up again. But I'd say amongst all the cool shit that we've seen in the last, what, two, three weeks now that we've – four weeks (laughs) that we haven't reported on things, episode 41 and 44 caught my attention the most. And it's a – much like what Neil said a moment ago was Ryoko and Aika showing their their stuff. Ryoko literally pulled the exact same pose she had when she blew away a good chunk of Tenchi's uh, school in OVA 1 Episode 1. She crossed her arm across her chest and just blew away about most of uh, Hachiko's swords when, when the two of them were battling. Then there's Aika, and Aika's using her mini-guardians to shoot lasers. I don't think she's ever done that before. She's always been very defensive, very shield-like, and you see a different char- different air to Aika's character. She's a ha- whole lot more aggressive this go-around than she has been in many of the other series, which I think that's a good change of pace. Aika's uh, stepped up from the seemingly meek princess we've seen before, and she's actually putting her foot down a lot more often than she used to. Then, of course, the sword key and waking up the ship and all the realizations with Momo and Benny that happened in those two episodes. My God, I was I was in hog heaven uh, right there with all that stuff just conglomerated. Pure, concentrated Tenchi content. I guess my favorite part was probably, like, m- most other people's when uh, uh, Hana and Hachiko went up against Ryoko and Aika because at the end... After they got done fighting, I mean, granted, the one with uh, Ryoko and Hachiko is a little bit more slapstick because, oh, look, Hachiko lost her sword again, so she's going to break down and cry. But uh, th- th- those that was probably my favorite part because, at least to me, it just proved that Nagishi and everybody else behind the show weren't going to let these, old, these new characters overshadow the old. You know, this isn't that it wasn't gonna turn into an OVA three no weekay moment where she shows up and everybody better down, bow down to her because reasons. You know, <laughs> Ryoko's got to help Hachiko get back because she's still crying the whole way down the hallway and she's holding her hand, and Hana's laying on the ground with Aika has her foot on her head. I mean, granted, Hana kind of liked that. 
but uh, yeah, that, that was probably my favorite part because that's what it proved to me. Actually, that's one thing I probably should all make clear is, folks, a lot of people have been worried that uh, the the old girls, Ryoko Aieko, Sasami Washu, are getting overshadowed by the new girls. And I think these those two episodes in particular, if you guys haven't realized, Aieko and Ryoko dominated the other the other girls. I'm sorry, I hate to I hate to break it to you, but nobody's done. The only people that are dominating are the ones that should be dominating. I feel uh, confident seeing it already, even though the series isn't finished. But uh, you know, uh, even though certain things I have advocated, hey, you gotta wait till it's finished to save. But you know, anyway, how uh, you know, you know, of all things, uh, happens in any series, but Tenchi especially. We know it from every incarnation: new girl or new character, rah, attack because you're new and you're not the established cast. You know, I hear you. I'm guilty of that as well. But um, amazingly. I has shown us not only can it be done, you, you could you could make new characters endearing to you as well, and have them right alongside the good old cast, and still have the the, the good old cast be who they are. So, TLDR: How to introduce new characters into Tenchi series? I Tenchi Muyo. How not to introduce new characters in a Tenchi series? COVA three. One of the things that uh, cropped up right before we went to Chibi Paw that we didn't get to talk about was the Hot Springs episode, which caused a bit of a clamor among people, as well as the Bathhouse episode when uh, after the battle was over uh, with uh, Ryoko and Ayaka in the bath. And there was much uh, divisive talk about that on many social media sites. Uh, a lot of people didn't appreciate the... Uh, innuendo that you had in episode 31 with the gloomy hot springs with Tenchi getting stuck in there and unfortunately unable to get out as well as later when you have uh, Ryoko and Aieka scooting around. Again, Aieka comes out in her uh, modesty towel that she's always had and Ryoko gives precisely zero fucks when she walks out uh, butt naked and Tenchi of course says, Ryoko put on some clothes and she says, what? It's it's cool. cool here. I live here, don't I? Um, same thing. Notably, Benny does the same thing back in the hot spring in the in the uh, bathhouse episode as well, because she's walking through the dorm with a towel around her waist and around her shoulders, and that's it. And she gives zero fucks. The same way Ryoko gives zero fucks the whole time. Well, it's it's a pretty interesting divisive measure on how people feel about fan service. Uh, we can actually lead this into another piece of I Tenchi talkback that we uh, we almost I didn't think we we're going to be able to fit it in here, but uh, Angel Zapata, I apologize if I said that incorrectly, sir, uh, said kind of pointless and very tame fan service since we've seen Ryoko and Ayaka naked in the OVAs. And uh, this was, of course, pertaining to the most one of the more recent episodes where you know Tenchi is home and the uh, the science club girls are there trying to or not the science club the student council is there excuse me student council club girls are there to stop him from being taken away by the science club again and the girls just don't care they walk out in their towels and uh, he obviously feels that you know that was tame and lame fan service and I mean. I don't really know what to say to something like that because this is a show that has had varying degrees of fan service. The fact that the OVA had direct nudity in it is a result of it being a more adult publication. This this is being aired on Tokyo MX on TV. Do they allow I don't know if they allow nudity like that much on uh, on that channel or whatever, but I think it's a matter of 
not necessarily that they wanted to be prudish with it, but that's just the way it was. Like, do, do they necessarily need to have their tits hanging out the entire time when they're having that discussion? I don't necessarily think so. Nagishi is not one to shy away from it. You also forget that we had fan service in the form of Haruna in Tenshi Muyo and Love 2, Tenshi Muyo Forever. She was buck naked, and we got to see them straight up fucking, which is something that hasn't really been shown in an animation form for this series at all. That right there is above and beyond the call of what any of the other shows have done. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't really know what the problem is here. Even with I, I had the whole bathhouse episode where the, the you know, Anna was grabbing onto Momo, as it were, and demonstrating to her what she claims is the way that she has her breast grow. It was a cringeworthy moment for many. Some people don't really want the fan service part of things, and it was just kind of there. But uh, I, I don't know how... I don't, I don't see what the issue is here because they had towels on. Like, I'm... I don't know. Like the universe didn't have direct nudity until the movies. Uh, Tokyo didn't have any nudity at all that I can think of. Those were TV shows and not OVA productions. Only the OVA has had direct nudity. And even still, when you think back on it, Washu had something covering herself up in the bathhouse. One of the instances in in the episode where she's taking care of the child because everybody else is totally inept at childbearing and when we learn Washu's past in OVA 2, she's actually wearing a bathing suit. You know, she could have appeared completely buck-ass naked there, but she didn't. She's wearing a suit. Was, was that a problem? I, I just, I, I, I mean, I wanted to address that because I think it's a very interesting thing for somebody to bring up, but I, I don't really understand the complaint myself there. The fan, ser the fan service and nudity scenes in Aitenshi, again, are very similar to Universe in Tokyo because, again, Universe had about, had an onsen episode, a, co a couple scenes here and there with Mahoshi and uh, Kione in the public bath. You also have uh, Washu's onsen that's in the alternate universe that Tenshi and company can't get into because they're male. Uh, then t uh, Tenshi in Tokyo has a couple serious scenes, one where Ryoko's butt naked looking at herself in the mirror thinking, is this the life I want? That's near the end of the series, actually. Actually. And the nudity, of course, in uh, Tension Movie and Love 2 is much more adult-oriented because of the content with that one. That one's a very much more a slow-burn drama and much ver much more personal. The nudity there is not meant to be pornographic in that particular sense. It's supposed to be more or less situational. Again, different kind of – different strokes on this one, guys. You said stroke. I did. It's true. Well, let's dissect this, shall we? First off, like it's been mentioned, this is being shown on TV in Japan on Tokyo MX. And every single show, almost every single show that is shown on TV is censored. If they made it into production with breasts or other, it is censored always. That's why you'll have the TV version have like smoke around it or whatever, and then the Blu-ray DVD release will be uncensored. That's how it's always been. They can't get away with nudity. You know, of course it's going to be tame in comparison to the OVA, because the OVA was made direct to home video. It was made to the home video market in Japan. So you could get away with nudity. You could show nudity. They wanted to see nudity. That's what OVA was. Pointless, like it's been mentioned in, you know, multiple times, uh, you know, Tenchi has always had some type of fan service like that. We've all, there's been an onsen episode in every single series across every continuity. 
So saying it's pointless is like saying a staple of the series is pointless. Re with how they direct it, how it's played up, how it's shown, that's it's always been a little bit slightly different, but it's the staple of the series, ultimately. And of all of the fan service shots in Aitenshi Muyo, only three have ever, ever been done like contemporary anime. Very focused from an undershot, very, uh, very, you know, very, uh, voyeuristic. When Ryoko walks out, it's not, you don't have that kind of, like, 70s pan-in, pan-out shot where it's like, oh, look, it's boobs. No, it's just Ryoko being Ryoko. Ryoko being naked. The same thing with Benny. It's just Benny being naked. It's not meant to be fetishistic. It's just her doing that. That's a, that's a, that is a big step up for a Tenchi Muyo series in the last couple years. Obviously, they do have somewhat, you know, they do have somewhat fan service shots. But in the shots that you would expect it the most, like the, the nudity shots, it's not like that. I think a good chunk of it also stems from people's expectations, what they really want. At the end of the day, Tenchi is a pretty unique thing in that it has something for a little bit of everybody. And there are some people who obviously want a little bit more direct, nude fan service, more outwardly lewd things in their in their series. And, you know, I'm not really sure where the expectation for that came, you know, but there there has been fan service in the show before. There's been, you know, outright sex in the show and related materials. There's been, I guess I should say in the series because the sex was in the movies. But, you know, it's it's it it's not like this series is prudish. They're not trying to skirt the the fan service because they don't want to talk. They don't want to go on it. We've seen them do some pretty ridiculous fan service already in this series. It's just a different kind of fan service than the one that I guess you uh, are coming to expect. And I know there's nothing wrong with that. The people who do see it enjoy it. Uh, if we do, if we can think back, uh, you know, a, a very stereotypical fan service piece, the panty shot. The very first week, a lot of us felt that the weakest link at that time was the panty shot when Momo fell from the sky and landed on Tenchi. And it's been a recurring theme. It's happened at least three times now in the show. And uh, at the time, that was our major complaint with it was, uh, you know, the panty shot was terrible. We're, none of us are prudes. We, we all expect and realize that sex is going to happen with this show. But it's about the style of fan service i think that you've come to expect and i tend she has done things a little bit differently in some respects but in a lot of ways it's pretty much the exact same as the show has been for the past 20 years the only difference is that they had a towel on so, ladies and gentlemen, that was iTenshi Talkback. This is our community outreach to you. Again, if you want to take part in this segment of the podcast, which turned out to be the entirety of our podcast this time, we apologize, but we hope you enjoy all the chibi pa stuff that is, uh, has already come out and is to come. Simply comment on the week's events with iTenshi Talkback as the hashtag, which you will see in the video description below. To take part in the discussion, we will handpick out a handful of comments and we will talk about them uh, at the end of, and in this case, the entirety of uh, the, the next episode of the Tenchi Cast. So, with that, we shall turn the mic back over to Dagon, who will take us to the closing ceremonies. If you like what you heard today, like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, Pinterest, any social media outlet you can think of and subscribe to us on youtube 
if you can't wait for iTunes. And if you like to discuss all things Tenshi Muyo, including the newest series, I Tenshi Muyo, as it is coming out, head on over to TenshiForum.com, where, much like the carnival, the discussion never ends. Until next time, stay gold.